Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 20 of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. I'm Ryan Wolt, and this is the show where I bring you the stories of coffee professionals, entrepreneurship, and coffee smarter education. This is the very last episode of Season 6, and it's a great interview with Jack Quint. He founded and with his wife co-owns Deltina Coffee Roasters in Oceano, California. I'm going to start this show off with a bit of a geography lesson, just to give you some context on where Deltina is. Informally, the Central Coast region runs from just north of Ventura, California, up to Santa Cruz, where it runs into the Bay Area that surrounds San Francisco. Oceano is near Pismo Beach, close but not quite halfway between Los Angeles and San Francisco. The Central Coast is a combination of agricultural land, military base, and small beach communities, and it has the iconic coastal views associated with the rugged landscape of the drive through Big Sur. It's that stretch of highway that you often see in TV commercials for automobile makers. That's where you'll find Deltina Coffee Roasters, which opened in 2018. To get a better sense of that vibe, check out at Deltina Coffee on Instagram while listening to today's show. Jack was sitting outside, leaning up against the roastery while we chatted. As always, I'm going to play the interview and do a little recap. Be sure to stick around after that for details on a big change to the Roast West Coast Coffee podcast. And if you haven't already, go get a coffee, fill up that mug, maybe a traditional dark roast today. That's a bit of foreshadowing. And make sure you get it quick, because it's time for this interview with Jack Quint, founder of Deltina Coffee Roasters in Oceano, California, on the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. And with that, I'd say, Jack, welcome to Roast West Coast. I really appreciate you being here and, and uh, talking about what you do. Uh, I'm hoping we can start with just having you let our audience know what your name is, what your role is, what your coffee company is, you know, what, what you're doing. Absolutely. So my name is Jack Quint. I am the owner of Deltina Coffee Roasters. We're in Oceano, California. Uh, we opened our business about four years ago. Uh, my wife's uh, my partner. Uh, we're an organic coffee roaster right on Highway 1 in Central Coast, California. Uh, we also have a full espresso bar. So yeah, excited to be here and, and thank you, Ryan, for inviting me. Oh, no, I, I'm excited you're here. I did some Google earthing and Google mapping <laughs> uh, to figure out where uh, Oceano was. From the from the view, you're cut, you're right by the beach, but it's not necessarily, you're not like in a major metropolis. You're not uh, uh, in a, a metro area to say you're kind of in the middle and, and even in a more of an industrial area. How did you end up where you are? Yeah, what the heck? Uh, great question. So <laughs> I had never heard of the Central Coast of California. Um, I'm born and raised in Seattle. I've Through uh, my previous career, I, I lived in D.C. and Chicago, um, but I actually met my now wife, who is a Cal Poly graduate. Um, she got her graduate degree in Seattle. We met up there, and this was where she grew up vacationing. So, you know, Pismo Beach is a hotspot for the Central Coast there's a lot of agricultural areas, little small towns out there, and they come out here uh, when the summers get hot and vacation. And then there's also, like I said, Cal Poly. So um, it's a big college town just north of us. So I had never heard of this area when we wrote the business plan and I got really interested in, in starting a coffee company. My number one protocol for a location was somewhere that my wife and I really love. 
and we were struggling. Do we go back to Seattle? Do we, you know, go to California? Do we go in between in Oregon? And I asked my wife, you know, where's your favorite place in the world? And she said, uh, the Central Coast, San Luis Obispo was her happy place. So I scoped it out and saw there were very few specialty roasters out here. And I saw it was right on a real tourist uh, highway. And, and so, you know, the, the hair stood up on the back of my neck. I got really excited and uh, we just didn't look back. Well, now it's been several years. Have you been uh, incorporated into the community? Do they accept you as one of their own? That's the big question. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we we kind of went into, I, I was looking for an area that didn't have, you know, six or seven coffee roasters. Part of my vision for this business was educational. and I wanted to spark curiosity in the community I was going into. And I wanted people to walk in who had never seen a coffee roaster. So I, I picked an area where you know, historically, there aren't, there aren't a lot of coffee shops. We're like the first one. And absolutely, especially during COVID, you know, tourism didn't exist. And we had, you know, it was about a year into our operation. And we had this great flood of support come from the Oceano community and the surrounding areas. And they really kept us afloat. Everybody was ordering coffee online. And I was dropping off coffee at people's houses. And it was just really an, a windfall that we weren't expected at all. And and it just really reaffirmed our decision to go into a smaller area versus um, trying to elbow our way into a more established region. You mentioned that you wrote your business plan before choosing your location, but that means you were already thinking about coffee, already into coffee. So I want to go back a little bit in time and just, did you have an experience with coffee that made you think, yeah, this is something that I, I see being important to my life? Yeah, it definitely came full circle. You know, the Seattle weather we were drinking coffee as you know, 12, 13 year olds just to get out the door on those dark winter days. In high school, just on a little bit of a whim, I um, had saved up some money and I wanted to go visit my family in Ireland that I had never met. And my uncle agreed to go with me. My uncle has been a coffee roaster his entire life. He roasted for um, a bunch of companies in Seattle. And about 15, 20 years ago, he sold his house in Seattle and opened up his own small batch roastery in uh, central Washington. So him and I went on this trip in Ireland and he brought a couple small little bags of coffee and he brought, you know, this was 10 years ago. He brought what well, was a single serve pour over contraption that I don't know who made it. I had never seen anything like it before. And I mean, every morning, you know, I'd be making toast and he'd be making us each a little cup of coffee. And he, you know, this is a Guatemala, you know, this, you know, tomorrow we're having a Columbia. And I, you know, to me, my first thought was, you know, it's a, it's a lot of work. Like they have coffee in Ireland. Why are you doing that? But it was just really cool. And seeing how much he can, you know, this was his vacation. Yet He still was spending 10, 15 minutes every single morning making a single cup of coffee. And I kind of went back to that. That was such a cool experience. Fast forward, ended up in Chicago working for larger companies. And, and I kind of I knew I wanted to get into something I was more passionate about. I kind of went full circle back with him and said, tell me again about what you do. Why do you do what you do? Went and visited his roastery one more time and just was hooked. Um, so that was my first experience that really planted the scene. Uh, the seed that would I would later cultivate, you know, in my 30s to in my own business. So, well, you just mentioned you were in Chicago. Uh, you're actually the second uh, roaster I've had on this show who was a corporate accountant in Chicago. Really turned roaster. Oh man, that's funny. Taylor Fields of Nostalgia Coffee. If anyone's listening, go back. That was a great interview, and she mentioned something that I wouldn't have thought about because 
coming from restaurants, bootstrapping is was my growth uh, process. You always kind of do that. She was coming from a great career in corporate accounting and a lot of stability and a lot of easy future kind of she could see that laying out and chose to leave that to jump into coffee. What made you think that was something you wanted to do? Obviously, you had this experience with your uncle, but you know, was there fear when you made that leap? Was there, you know, hesitation? You know, how did your wife feel about uh, giving up that and, and moving forward? Great question. It was a tough sell. It really was. Uh, you know, we had a lot of stability. I had almost a moment of panic when I was 10, 12 in, years into my career. Things started going really well. We had made a lot of sacrifices to get me to that point. We had moved our whole family out to Chicago to pursue this opportunity. And, you know, it was almost the situation of the dog catching the mail truck. All of a sudden it was right there in front of me and I had a panic because I realized that wasn't what I wanted the rest of my life. And it was this gut wrenching. Okay. I have small kids. Um, I know I don't want to do this the rest of my life. Well, now what? And I had to really just, it was gut check time, you know, come up with another alternative and, once I did decide, you know, I got really interested in sourcing my food while we lived out in Chicago. So Chicago is so much processed, you know, it's where all the frozen burritos are made. And, you know, the, the, a lot of the apples are, you know, they ship them out the year before and they freeze them. So you, there's really not a lot of fresh produce out there. And so I, I got really interested in sourcing my own food personally and learning what goes into, you know, is this granola bar really healthy or is it full of sugar? And so I got really passionate about that. I said, well, maybe I could do something. I saw this trend in the cities of younger consumers willing to pay more for a chicken breast. If it's labeled organic from this farm, you know, especially in the urban areas. So I saw this trend of, okay, there's a self-awareness that is developing. Uh, maybe I could capitalize on that through coffee, you know, and, and maybe if I could get people to stop going through drive throughs where they get, you know, really sugarized drinks and instead walk in, see coffee being roasted and really kind of start asking questions about where um, products are coming that they're putting into their body. That could be really cool. So I had to run some numbers and I knew it wasn't going to be a home run. You know, it took my wife and I a couple of years of, OK, we're going to pay off all our student loans. We're going to pay off all our cars. You know, we saved up. And we ended up, you know, cracking my 401k to do it. Um, so it took us a number of years to feel like we were in the right place to do it. And then obviously with COVID, the, the rug got pulled out from under us and it was, looked very different than it. We had written it up, but um, it is very risky. You know, my approach to it and what I told my wife is worst case scenario, we fall flat on our face and we go back to doing what we were doing before. So when I left the company I'd worked for for 10 years, I left on really good terms and, you know, relationships are crucial. I didn't burn any bridges. Um, I told them what I was trying to do. And I told them, you know, if it doesn't work out, do I have a spot to return to, to feed my family? And, you know, they said, absolutely. So I was able to take a crack at it, knowing that if I had to fall back on something more secure, um, the door was always open. Sure. You mentioned uh, two things there that, that kind of stuck out to me. One was you wanted people to be able to come in and, and experience their their relationship with coffee and the way mm -hmm. uh, that you were starting to do with the food you were sourcing uh, in Chicago. I'm from Wisconsin. It's farm country. I mean, I grew up not realizing this was a special thing, but like I knew people who worked on farms. We bought food from farms, you know, uh -huh. meat and that kind of things. And you, you were starting to do that. I can hear beans being poured in the background there. Is that yeah. kind of the 
atmosphere you're trying to cultivate now with Deltina. And then you also, you brought up coronavirus again, and I'm just wondering, you, obviously you had to pivot, uh, you had to adjust and be flexible. What were some of those changes that you made, obviously, besides really honing in on your neighbors? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there were a couple things right off the bat, you know, everybody was so scared. And I think everybody felt it. Um, customer, customers were just projecting the stress onto our employees. So we had to do a, hey guys, you know, we're allowed to stay open during the lockdown. Do you guys want to? You know, there's these huge benefit packages out there if you guys don't want to work. But if you want to stay open, I'm game. And they did. So, okay, well, then we're going to really need to follow the rules and trying to kind of keep our ear to the ground. Things were changing so fast, you know, and I felt like everybody had different um, recommendations. We had the CDC. We had the state of California. We had our own county. um, We had customers misinterpreting rules and coming in and yelling at us. We had we actually are the county was receiving complaints that the local police officers were hanging out at our coffee shop just goofy stuff so it was just a big distraction you know it became masking was so um politicized that at first you know we weren't going to tell people to wear a mask well then the county was revoking business licenses if you weren't enforcing masking well then we have you know 18 year old baristas asking you know, full grown men to wear a mask who are very vocal about not wanting to wear one. And I'm going, what are we even doing? Like, we just want to serve coffee. Financially, you know, there were some safety nets that came through. Um, I had to call on some friends and family and, you know, secure some financing just in case. Uh, we just didn't know how this thing was going to play out. Um, I feel like because we stayed open during the lockdown and not a lot of other um, companies did, we, there was a little bit, I mean, there's silver linings everywhere. You know, we were a pretty new company and because we were the only open you know, shop in town, we got quite a, quite a bit of exposure that way. You know, I just, every day is a little bit different. I think the biggest challenge was just trying to interpret the rules because they're changing so fast and making sure that we're following the rules to the best of our abilities and that our staff understand the rules and that, you know, the customers understand the rules. So that was our biggest challenge. It wasn't more, it wasn't so much the financial side of it. It was just the misinformation and just how charged up everybody was. I, I'm very COVID safe and, and aggressively about that. And I, I appreciated businesses that went out of their way to do that. But as a former restaurant person who's been through a localized outbreak uh, of a virus, Hep C, I also understood how difficult it was when I had to go to my staff and say, hey, we have you can get vaccinated. Hey, we have to do these things to prevent it. And you mentioned something I think is really interesting and something that you might not think about on the other side, but you have essentially kids engaging with the community and trying to enforce rules and laws. And that's difficult. It's a challenge. Absolutely. So finding what workarounds around that was certainly difficult. Absolutely. I want to make sure that we're talking about your coffee today. Sure. You mentioned to me before the show uh, in a note that you sent that you have been focusing on some of the darker roasts kind of going against the trend I'm wondering why you've chosen to do that. And I, I, one of the reasons that really kind of sparked interest in me is I have several family members and friends who ask me, hey, when are roasters going to make dark roasts again? <laughs> sure. It's one of those things. So what, what inspired you to go that way? You know, my approach to coffee roasting, I really looked for mentors and, and took advice everywhere I could get it. But at the end of the day, I decided I'm going to kind of trust my gut, roast coffees, buy coffees that I like and hope that people get on board with it. You know, I don't want to be trying to do what everybody else is doing. I don't want to be pivoting um, and doing what I think people are going to like. I'm going to 
really lean into it, learn the coffees the best I can. You know, coffee roasting is all trial and error. I'm going to do my diligence, cut my roast when I'm done. I've found, especially for espressos or any non-filtered coffees, I just really like dark roast. And there's a way to do it without getting a lot of burnt bitterness in it. And it, I think it's a little bit of a lost art. And I did notice, I said, wow, this, this light roast thing's really trendy. But I've heard from people who have been roasting, you know, 20, 30, 40 years that it's cyclical. And sometimes the dark roasts come back around, you know, the last couple of years, light roasts are really the, the popular thing. And so I said, okay, well, I like a light roast, but I don't want to drink it every day. So, you know, I do one. I've tried every one of my blends through our espresso machine. And I just wholeheartedly, I really enjoy a darker roast espresso. I think, you know, if I get any hints of the acidity, to me, it tastes sour. And I'm just very passionate about that. So I kind of started with developing my espresso blend. And then I kind of went from there. But I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of stigma out there. And I've, I've gotten a lot of pushback, just misinformation of, well, you know, I heard that people that roast dark roast buy cheap coffee and that's how you disguise flaws is you roast it dark. Some people do that. Yes. Yes. You can disguise flaws in coffee by roasting it dark. I pay $5 a pound for coffee. I buy very high end coffees, which by roasting it dark, you can transform certain flavors. You know, you can take these sweeter floral notes and you can transform them into this chocolatey molasses note. So I also am constantly battling that, well, I heard light roast has more caffeine. You know, we don't have to go down that rabbit hole. But I just tell people, you know, drink what you like. If you find a dark roast you like, you're going to get caffeinated. You know, I like that the darker roast, because of the lack of acidity, they're easier on your stomach. I can drink multiple cups a day and I don't, you know, have as many issues. So circling back, my philosophy is just to trust my gut and my palate and roast coffee the way I like it, present it the way I like it. And I know some people will love it. Some people won't. I have people that ask, you know, do you do light, super light roast? No, but I know three or four roasters in this area that do. And I send them to him. I say, hey, go check out this guy. He's a mile up the street. I think you're going to like what he does. And he does the same for me. If people show up and want dark roast, he kicks them down our way. So it's fun. It's collaborative. You're roasting your dark roast on a San Franciscan roaster, which I just think they're beautiful looking machines, uh, yeah. but there are so many options out there. What, how did you end up with that machine, especially since you were coming into roasting with kind of some guidance from your, from your uncle Dan, Sure. but coming from a different career, how did you end up there? Sure. I mean, it was very overwhelming. I, I started looking into the major manufacturers. Um, I was in Chicago at the time. Probat had a new North American, uh, plant just north of Chicago. So met with them a couple times. You know, I, I think the, the older Probat roasters are really cool to me. The newer ones, um, I didn't love quite as much. Um, I, I looked into, you know, being in California, um, Lorian, uh, you know, their sales seems pretty aggressive. I met with them a couple times. Um, I got a good piece of advice to look at the roasters that are placing at the national competitions and look what kind of roasters they're using. So look for something that's battle tested. So, you know, I knew as a new roaster, I'm not an engineer. Um, that's not my background. I'm not going to buy a 70 year old roaster. <laughs> you know, I just, that's too much baggage for me. Um, so on my way out here, you know, I had a couple different manufacturers in mind. I was driving cross country with my family and we were planning to stop in um, Denver and we ended up, I ended up breaking down in Denver and I put my wife and my kids on a plane to, 
to Fresno and I hung out with my sister in Denver for a couple of days. And so I said, okay, well, let's go check out a couple of coffee roasters while I'm here. And uh, Sweet Bloom, you know, I don't have permission to use their name on this, but Sweet Bloom um, had just placed second in a Brewer's Cup in Salt Lake City. So I said, hey, let's go check those guys out. They had two San Franciscan roasters. I had honestly never heard of San Franciscan. The owner happened to walk by and I caught him and said, hey, Andy, why are you San Franciscan roaster? And he said, you know, they're just workhorses. He said he had his SF25 and he ran it every day. And it just consistently produced results. And so I ended up calling this company and, you know, I ended up talking to either the owner or the owner's brother and really, again, started their relationship. I wasn't talking to a salesman. I was talking to the head technician and, you know, developing that relationship with them. I just felt like if I had an issue, um, they would answer the phone and they have. So, you know, that small company feeling, it's just, you know, I didn't want to get a sales rep. Um, I didn't want to talk to, you know, a technician on the field. I, if I had a roaster, I had an issue with my vent one day and I, I called and the, the main customer service person at, at uh, San Francisco didn't answer and they put it through to Bill Kennedy, who's the owner of San Francisco. And he was in, you know, Seoul, Korea at some convention and he answered. He's like, Oh, I'm in Korea right now. Could I call you in the morning? I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. But that's the kind of, that's the kind of thing that, you know, I, I haven't experimented with a lot of other roasters, but I feel like I have such a good um, relationship with San Franciscan at this point. They really show up for, for their customers. So that's how I ended up with the San Franciscan and I'm very happy with that decision. That's a really um, a value add, I think, to to you as the roaster. And, and this is just kind of my soapboxing for the audience a little bit. But when you are going into that process of buying something, you need to think about the maintenance expenses and the long-term expenses, yep. not just the first price that you pay. Because if it's $5,000 cheaper, but there's nobody to work on it or there's no way to get any assistance, it's going to cost more in the long run. Absolutely. And, you know, this coffee equipment is so specialized that I can't call an electrician to come work on my coffee roaster. They've never seen anything like it. They don't want to. You know, my afterburners have an issues. I've called eight or 10 different um, heating companies locally. Wait, it's a, it's a coffee roaster? Yeah, we don't do that. You know, so I really had to lean in and, and learn a lot of it myself. And that's where having that, you know, relationship really has paid dividends. You... You're, the coffee that you are serving, you mentioned you pay $5 a pound, give or take, which is a, a, a higher price for coffee than, especially than the sea market. Uh-huh. You also serve uh, coffees that are organic, I think mostly exclusively, mm-hmm. and fair trade as often as you can. Why is that important to you, or why did you choose to go that route? You mentioned earlier uh, you were getting into the sourcing of your food. I'm assuming that's part of that inspiration. Yep. Uh, great question. So, when I started getting into roasting and actually making green coffee purchases, um, you know, I had realized before I started this in Denver that, um, you know, how the consumer has a lot of power. And I think people kind of forget that, you know, even with the larger companies, you know, if there's a need, large companies will pivot and try and fill that need. So as a consumer, our, you know, the way we spend our money is it can really help shape policy and, and impact you know, the behavior and, and policies of, of others. So it's a small part, but I figure, well, if I'm going to be buying green coffee, I want to be doing it in a way that I feel good about. And, you know, coffee, yes, it, it, there are a lot of chemicals, you know, in, in some growing operations. To me, it was more about how do I reward farmers that are growing sustainably? And through my research, I discovered that while it's not a perfect system, 
operations that grow organically, because they can't use a lot of the fertilizers and a lot of the pesticides, they really have to treat the trees well. They have to spread them out. They can't overplant, um, and they have to do it in a sustainable way. So, you know, and, and the organic market is so regulated that, you know, while there's a lot of fraud in it, generally I know if my importer is certifying something organic, it's going to be organic. So I made the decision to purchase exclusively organic coffee, not because I'm an organic nut, but because I felt that it was the way to best reward the farmers that are growing um, using sustainable practices. You know, fair trade is great. You know, there are a lot of these programs. There are definitely steps in the right direction. It's it's not an end-all be-all. It's not a, a solution. So little of coffee is certified fair trade that, you know, to be providing coffee to other businesses and keep my flavor profiles consistent, you know, I just made the decision I can't be exclusively fair trade. Um, I'm already pretty pigeonholed being just organic and it creates some challenges sourcing beans at certain times of the year. Um, so if I have the option to buy fair trade, I will, but I am 100% exclusively organic. Well, and it's important to note that fair trade is a certification that farmers have to pay for, and that may not always be available to them as well. Uh I also want to point out, uh, if you're listening, you can't see Jack, but I can. And when he started talking about organic and sustainability, a ray of sun literally came out and illuminated (laughs) him on my screen. So there must be something to that. I haven't been to your shop. I have traveled kind of that direction, and I certainly will again. I'm, I'm based here in Southern California. When I walk into Deltina, what what is the experience like? What is the vibe? You know, what is you mentioned another roaster down the road, uh, so it's obviously been growing since you've moved in. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is that Central Coast coffee region experience like? It's really important to us that everybody feels welcome. So when we first were building out this location. Oceano itself historically is a very heavy Latino neighborhood. And over the last five or 10 years, there have been a lot more investors setting up Airbnb type properties in Oceano because it's so close to the beach. So when I set up, I had eyes on me going, you know, is this gentrification? You know, and so I had to just walk around giving out hot chocolates to kids, waving to people, showing, look, everybody's welcome. So when people walk in, we really make a point to smile, good morning, how are you, come on in. You know, specialty coffee is very intimidating. So people walk in, I don't know what to order, I've never been here. Okay, what do you like? And we try and get that dialogue going. It's also really important to us, you walk in, the first thing you see is our roaster. It's in the back, but we have a line of sight. And then I have all my inventory right there next to the roaster. So is very open. You know, I don't encourage customers to go open my green beans and look in them, but you know, we have it set up. We're trying to encourage the dialogue. We want people to feel welcome. We want to spark that curiosity and then have a great customer experience as well. You had mentioned earlier that, and I just want to come back around to this, but that there were other roasters in the area. Who are the customers outside now that the world has opened up again, who is coming to visit you uh, besides your neighbors or is it still kind of exclusively local uh, neighborhood vibe that you guys have. We're definitely seeing an uptick in international travel. What was really cool about our location when we first opened is we're on Highway One, but right next to us is kind of a, a major highway. Um, so if you're on Highway One, you know Pacific Coast Highway, you're either a local or you're just joyriding. So what was really neat and why I chose this location was I talked to a couple other business owners and they said, "Yeah, all all July." Um, Europe's on holiday and the travel agencies sell these bucket list vacation packages where you fly into San Francisco, you rent an RV, 
you drive down the coast to LA, you know, you circle back around and hit Vegas on the way back. So, okay, that's cool. So all July, we have people from all over Europe. And, you know, the Europeans, they love espresso and they like the dark roast. They, oh, my gosh, this is, you know, I've been in America a week and this is the first European style espresso I've had, which is really exciting for us. So July and we're starting to see an uptick again. We see a lot of um, Europeans. We see a lot of South Africans. And then in August, um, not try to be stereotypical, but later in the summer, a lot of the Asian countries go on their holiday. So then we see this other influx from, you know, Korea, you know, Japan. And it, it's just really fun. So we get a great mix of the locals, and then we have people just from all over the world. And so my, my background, I used to work in international tax, and I used to help non-U.S. companies set up U.S. subsidiaries. And what was really cool about that was that I got to work with all these non-U.S. businesses and learn the way, you know, how do you do business in the Netherlands? When do people get into the office? When do people vacation or holiday? That was one of the few things I really enjoyed about my previous career, and being where we are now, I get to talk to people from all around the world all summer. And it's kind of got to take a piece of that with me. And it's really fun. So being able to find common ground with people and learn, you know, how, how they serve a macchiato in the Netherlands or, you know, Turkish costume, whatever. People from all over the world have their own practices. And, and it's fun to kind of pick their brains and find some common grounds with them. Sure. And coffee is one of those very few things that unites 99% of the world. Yeah, it's amazing, right? And growing. You you chose where you your shop is. Um, you made a decision as a family to come there. Now that you're there and you've been in business uh, for four years, mm-hmm. going on five probably, I believe, uh, you've been through this massive business nightmare called the pandemic, mm-hmm. and you're still open. What's something that you've learned over the last several years kind of through that experience that uh, you're going to take with you moving forward? Um, that's a great question. Uh, really to, to trust, trust my gut and you really need to be persistent when starting a new business. And I feel like I've talked to so many potential coffee professionals that, you know, it, it sounds like a fun idea and they get into it and they hit a couple roadblocks and they give up. And, you know, well, I was going to open a coffee roaster in Santa Barbara, but it's really hard to get a permit. Okay. So you just stopped, you know, so we hit a lot of roadblocks, you know, in, in addition to the COVID stuff, you know, getting our building up to code was just a nightmare. And we just, you, you hit these little roadblocks and I've learned that if you just push through it, you know, you'll eventually get there and, you know, you're going to make mistakes. You know, obviously anything you go into for the first time, um, so just be patient and, and get used to saying, well, you know, right now this is the best I can do. And I'm proud of that. Um, and knowing that we're all flawed and, and, you know, you're not going to do anything perfect, but it's important to just keep pushing and, and keep, keep moving forward. So, you know, after all we've been through over the last couple of years, you know, I, I learned a ton. I learned to trust my gut. I've learned to not, you know, suffer in silence when things are going sideways or you're scared, pick up the phone and call somebody, call somebody who's been, in the industry for a long time or call, call a family member, call a friend just say, Hey, I'm struggling. You know, I'm stressed. I don't know. I don't know if my kids are going to go to school this year. I don't know if we're going to be able to stay open and just get it. You know, that suffer in silence is kind of part of our culture, but yeah, I, I feel, you know, don't dump your problems on people, but you know, fall back on support when you need it. And you know, there's, there's a group of people around you that will usually rally. And you know, I say a business like this, it takes a village. You know, I couldn't have done this on my own without the support of my family and my community. So that's something I've taken with me is, is to fall back on that support when you need it. Suffer in silence. You definitely spent time in the Midwest. 
that's how we <laughs> approach all of our problems. What's any what's something that I didn't ask you today that I should over? What should people know about Deltina or about you that uh, we didn't get a chance to cover today? Um, you know, one reason that I really wanted to get into coffee is I went to a couple trade shows before I was a professional, and the culture is just amazing. It's very collaborative, and you know, being in a small town. I felt like the small business owners are less so and a little bit more territorial. Um, but I found coffee as a whole is very collaborative. And, you know, like I said before, it took a village to kind of get our business to where it is today. And so I'm always looking for ways to pay it forward. Um, for example, there's another coffee roaster is uh, behind me using my roaster because he had to move his roaster this week and he, he didn't have anywhere to roast. And he called me, yeah, you can use my roaster. So, you know, I'm here. I'm available. I'm happy to be a resource. If anybody's listening to this and they think they might want to go into coffee roasting or they want to know, you know, realistically what it looks like every day. I've had people say, oh, I want to be a coffee roaster. Can I, you know, mentor you one day? And they say, well, I don't like lifting coffee bags. It's like, well, what, what do you think we're doing here? <laughs> um, so if you think you're interested, reach out. You know, people love talking about what they do. You know, this is a perfect example. Um, it's really fun for us. So reach out, you know, you can always email me, you can always call me. I'm, I'm happy to collaborate. I'm happy to kind of, you know, impart whatever knowledge I've gained over the last few years into the next generation. The last thing I always ask every guest is the next time you're out and about, you're on the one and you're just traveling on your own and you pull over at an unknown coffee shop or roaster, what are you going to order for yourself? That is a great question. I'm an Americano guy, uh, especially in the afternoon. I love decaf Americanos. You know, so few people really put as much effort into their decaf as they do their their non-decaffeinated coffees. So if I'm scoping somebody out, I'll order decaf Americano just to see if they're really on their game. You know, if I'm, it, it totally depends on, this is a great question. Depends on the time of day. If it's, you know, six in the morning, I'll get, you know, four shots over ice. If it's later in the <laughs> afternoon, decaf Americano. You know, if it's just after lunch, I might get, you know, splash of, you know, vanilla latte. I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm a big oat milk fan. So I usually put a splash of oat milk in a drip. I like drip coffee. I didn't drip coffee all day long. So great question. Anything else you want to talk about, Ryan? Yeah. I mean, do you ever, do you ever sleep? I'm assuming <laughs> if you're four shots and then drip and then coffee in the afternoon. You know, I drink a lot less coffee as a coffee professional than I did as a, in an office job. I feel like I drink coffee just because I was bored. Whereas now, you know, I don't drink coffee in the morning because I'm so excited to come down and cup you know, the batch I ran two days ago, you know, I, I drink little bits here and there. You know, if I pull a double shot, I'll take a sip of it. I'm not going to down it. You know, if I try our cold brew, I'll have a couple sips. And then I usually cut it off, you know, by about noon. <laughs> but yeah, coffee for me, like I enjoy drinking it so much more now because it is part of my profession that I don't, it's not a drug to me anymore. It, it's really something I love. Well, Jack, I really appreciate you taking the time to just chat with me and, and all of our of listeners. Thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. Of course. This was fun. Okay. To recap, you will hit roadblocks, lots of them, some little and some big, and you have to push through them to get to where you want to go. It's a lesson that Jack has learned, and the more I think about it, the more I find it applies to just about everything, not just business, but life in general. At Deltina Coffee, they roast on a San Franciscan roaster. It's a brand that Jack came across through the recommendation from another roaster. 
Word of mouth goes a long way when starting a business. And here's a little bit of unsolicited equipment advice. When pricing out equipment, be it an espresso machine for your new cafe or a coffee grinder for home, consider the long-term expenses. Is it cheaper now, but harder and more expensive to fix? How long will it last? Is it more or less efficient than another option? For example, I bought a grinder that was a little bit less expensive because the version I chose did not have a static-free cup to catch the grinds. It was like 20 bucks difference. And I regret that choice because of the mess that gets made when I'm pulling the grind cup out, leaving behind a mess of grinds that stick to the cup and get all over the place, and so on. The waste I create may not be worth $20 of coffee, even over time, but I'm also spending more time cleaning up my coffee station and generally just being annoyed in the morning when I should be enjoying my cup of coffee. Jack mentioned the rabbit hole that is caffeine and coffee. The caffeine content differences between light and dark roasts are relatively minimal. What will have more of an impact on your caffeine intake will be the size of the grind, the brewing method, its concentration, and especially the variety of coffee. A longer roast can slightly reduce the caffeine content, but then how you measure your grinds to water ratio will be more indicative of the caffeine that eventually ends up in your cup. More than anything, this conversation with Jack inspired me to consider where people choose to live. Where we, my wife and I, have chosen to live. Is it most impacted by our careers, by family, community, lifestyle? How do we weight those and how does being an entrepreneur impact those choices? There don't seem to be right answers, nor do there have to be. But taking time to assess the question every now and again might help create a life lived better. Finally, Jack thinks crafted dark roasts are becoming a lost art, one that he gladly continues because he roasts coffee that he likes. And at Deltina, he hopes to create a space where we as guests can experience more than just the taste of coffee. If you want to reach out to Jack or the Deltina team, follow at Deltina Coffee on Instagram or head to deltinacoffeeroasters.com. Of course, you can also head to roastwestcoast.com to find those links and read the newsletter that accompanies this podcast. On to some podcasting news. After Season 6 and 130 episodes interviewing coffee industry professionals about their entrepreneurial journeys, personal motivations, and experiences in coffee, and the sharing of their Coffee Smarter knowledge in pursuit of a better cup of coffee at home or a coffee experience out in the world, I think it's fair to say we have a pretty good sample size of what works and what people want from this show. That, combined with feedback from listeners like you, has inspired a huge change in the format. Specifically, we are splitting it in half. Roast West Coast will remain a coffee podcast focused on telling the stories of coffee industry professionals through interviews with roasters, coffee shop owners, baristas, farmers, and so on. And we're launching an entirely new second podcast called Coffee Smarter, where we'll focus on coffee education that is specifically targeted towards helping you make a better cup of coffee at home, along with a little bit of history to improve your coffee drinking experience, either at home or out in the world. Season 1 of Coffee Smarter is going to focus on the different at-home brewing methods. We'll break down the V60 pour-over, the French press, the Chemex, and more. We're going to focus on how and why they may be a good fit for you. The episodes will be more compact and provide all the knowledge you need to make a great cup of coffee. 
If you already subscribe to the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast newsletter, paid or free, nothing will change for you. You'll get both shows sent right to your email, just like always. And you can always go right to roastwestcoast.com to listen to any of the shows. But if you listen to the podcast on Spotify, Apple, or any of the other many platforms where great podcasts are heard, you'll want to follow and subscribe to the Coffee Smarter Podcast. This might be a pretty good time to subscribe to the coffee newsletter at roastwestcoast.com, but if not, find Coffee Smarter Podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Helping me split the show in two is the continued support from our coffee industry partners, including Café La Terre, Moster Coffee Company, Steady State Coffee Roasting, Camp Coffee Company, Coffee Cycle Roasting, Ignite Coffee Company, Marea Coffee, Cape Horn Coffee Importers, Zumbar Coffee and Tea, and Ascend Coffee Roasters. The founder of Ignite Coffee Company, Tyler Whitehead, just sent me some photos of the interior of their new cafe space in Oceanside, which I posted on at Roast West Coast on Instagram and Facebook. The coffee bar is in, and the espresso machine is unboxed. They are on the precipice of opening. It's an exciting time over there, and I'm stoked to be one of the first in line to get a cup of coffee when they open the doors. Thank you to everyone listening to this show, reading the newsletter at roastwestcoast.com. Don't forget to search for and follow the Coffee Smarter Podcast as soon as possible, like right now. Please and thank you. This episode of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast, the last of season six, is, was, has been written, produced, and recorded by me, Ryan Wolt. I hope this episode has found you happy, healthy, and with at least enough sanity to make it through the day. Always tip your baristas and be sure to drink good coffee. Hey everyone, thank you for sticking around. Once again, I have some last requests of you today. First, please go get your flu shot, get that COVID booster, or even your first COVID shot. It isn't too late. My amazing wife works in the school system with kids, mostly with special needs, and many of them are still considered at risk and haven't been able to get vaccinated the way the rest of us have. Staying healthy and getting those shots helps prevent the spread of viruses, which in turn protects kids and adults who don't have the benefit of a strong immune system, not to mention the rest of the people we love. It is a very good thing to do. Second, please vote. If you are listening to this the day it drops, tomorrow is the last day to vote in the midterms, which are incredibly important. Finally, treat yourself to a good cup of coffee. You've earned it. Hey, good morning, everyone. This is Ryan Wolt. I'm the host of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. And for the first time in seven seasons, we're splitting the show in half to bring you a new version of our popular Coffee Smarter series. The Coffee Smarter Podcast will be focused on helping you create a better cup of coffee and a better coffee experience at home, while also sharing the history, economy, and impacts on culture that your cup of coffee has on the world. Season 1 is focusing on the methods of coffee brewing that you might use at home. Be sure to bookmark the Coffee Smarter Podcast 
on your favorite podcast platform like Apple or Spotify, or just sign up for one of the free or paid newsletter options at roastwestcoast.com and get access to every episode of the brand new Coffee Smarter Podcast. Season one, coming soon.